0: You're listening to Nitty Gritty Nursing with Nurse M, where she breaks down the nitty gritty basics of nursing concepts. Hello, and welcome to Nitty Gritty Nursing with Nurse M. In today's episode, I'm going to try to break down some pediatric congenital heart defects. And I'm going to focus predominantly on acyanotic defects. Now, there's a few different ways that you might um, be taught or hear different pediatric cardiac alterations, especially when it comes to the heart and the congenital heart defects, which is abbreviated frequently as CHD. And I was always taught that they were either acyanotic or cyanotic defects, because with an acyanotic defect, congestive heart failure is more of a problem than hypoxia versus a cyanotic defect where hypoxia is more of a problem than congestive heart failure in these children. And so with that, I'm going to uh, talk to in this particular episode, about acyanotic defects. And then in a different episode, I will uh, cover cyanotic <laughs> congenital heart defects. So to get, that, to get us started, when we think about acyanotic defects, the other way that you can uh, view this in some, in some of the books and some of the literature, in my personal opinion, is that it is a defect with increased pulmonary blood flow. Okay, defect in increased pulmonary blood flow, with it being that the intracardiac communication along the septum or an abnormal connection between the great arteries allows the blood to flow from high pressure, which is the left side of the heart, to the low pressure, which is the right side of the heart. And it's all about pressure shifts. So when we think about that, I'm going to start first talking about a ventricular septal defect. And a ventricular septal defect is just an abnormal opening between the right and the left ventricles. So inside the right and the left ventricles in the septal wall, there's a hole. And many VSDs actually will close spontaneously during the first years of life in children with small or moderate defects, okay? Characteristically, when you listen to the heart of these children, they do have a murmur. The VSD is one of the most common defects, cardiac defects, that children will suffer from accounting for roughly 20% or one in every 240 babies, and this is according according to the CDC in the United States. Now, because of that, they will have a positive murmur and they have this left to right shunt, which is often asymptomatic. And it's a left to right shunt because the hole in between the ventricular septal wall, the left ventricle is just far stronger than the right ventricle. So every time the ventricle squeeze, the left side is pushing blood into the right side. So essentially what we're getting is blood that Gets deposited back to the right side of the heart, goes back to the lungs, and is not actually going out to the body. So, the signs and symptoms that oftentimes these children will experience, if it is a moderate or severe defect that doesn't spontaneously close in the first year of life, is they will have the signs and symptoms of heart failure. They will also have signs and symptoms of decreased cardiac output because every time the heart squeezes, trying to squeeze blood from the left side out to the body and into the circulation, it actually gets shunted back to the right side of the heart, and then it goes back to the pulmonary arteries. When you think about that, their signs and symptoms are going to circulate around decreased cardiac output. It's not that they're going to be hypoxic necessarily because they're oxygenating just fine. In fact, they have way too much blood flow going to the lungs, right? Increased pulmonary blood flow, but it's not getting out to the body. So the way that we manage this is, is actually, it's quite conservative, the treatment that we'll do. And it's really dependent on how big the ventricular septal defect is. So they can do management through closure during a cardiac catheterization, where we can actually go in and we can put a tiny patch into that hole and it will seal it and then isolate left ventricle from the right ventricle. You can also give medications like digoxin. So, and that digoxin will help the heart pump slower, but it will be more effective to potentially increase the cardiac output. They will also sometimes give diuretics to remove fluid, which is to decrease right, that flow from into the lungs, which is causing heart failure-like symptoms. They can also give ACE inhibitors and that will help to decrease the blood pressure and thus decrease the pressure in the left ventricle. And then we just really want to educate these families and the families of the children, where the parents or the caregivers, about, you know, really... This should close. It's often just monitored. um, And then after the first year of life, if it's still open, then they will talk about surgical management or some sort of heart catheterization device that they can place in the cath lab for this. So that's a ventricular septal defect. The next acyanotic defect that I'm going to cover is an atrial septal defect. And an atrial septal defect is an abnormal opening between the atria that causes an increased flow of oxygenated blood into the right side of the heart. So the right atrial and ventricular enlargement occurs because it's dealing with increased volume. So that hole that sits in the septum of the right and the left atriums forces blood again because the left side of the heart is just stronger. So it's still a left to right shunt. These kids will still have a positive murmur with that extra turbulent blood flow and it forces the blood from the left side to the right side of the heart leading to the atrial and the ventricular right side enlargement dealing with more flow. These kids, especially in infants, are often asymptomatic and if they're not asymptomatic, then they will start to show signs and symptoms of heart failure. Um, they will also have, again, the decreased cardiac output because the oxygenated blood that is coming back into the left atrium, every time the atrium's squeeze to push the blood down into the ventricles, part of the blood is going from the left atrium back into the right atrium and then getting reperfused back into the lungs. So small ASDs are often actually very asymptomatic. When you have a moderate or a large atrial septal defect, the children are going to be tired. They will have poor growth. They will display the signs and symptoms of heart failure, especially as the right side um, starts to enlarge. They also have the potential to have a stroke and they have the potential to have a stroke because of the atriums not fully squeezing blood from the top down to the bottom. Now, most ASDs will spontaneously close within about four years of life and they will continue to monitor these children with echocardiograms. They might do some diuretics to decrease the flow and reduce the strain in the heart. They can have surgery that is often done. And they might go to the cath lab for additional treatment, where we can also put in another sort of patch. It's called an amplatzer device uh, that will expand. It's like a mushroom cap that we can put in between the right atrium and the left atrium. And it kind of will grow with a child over time and seal that hole. Now, We also want to be monitoring with these kiddos that have an atrial septal defect for arrhythmias because it can cause atrial fibrillation to occur because that, if you think about where the SA node is and how it sends its electrical impulse down to the AV node, it tracks oftentimes down and around that septal wall and so that can elicit arrhythmias to occur. The big thing with this is that because these kids can start to display signs and symptoms of heart failure, which will manifest its, well, heart failure, but also the decreased cardiac output, and that decreased cardiac output will manifest itself as a decrease in peripheral pulses because there's not the same volume being sent away in the ventricular squeeze, they're going to have activity intolerance in the real little babies. They might have some feeding difficulties, they might be hypotensive, they might I... My- be tachycardic and have the pale, cool extremities because the cardiac output is not what it should be. So from a nursing perspective, we really need to discuss and explain with the family about activity intolerance because of that decreased cardiac output and the excessive fluid volume that these children have on board that keeps circulating from the left side of the heart back into the right and into the pulmonary system. So because of that, we will do the diuretics to decrease fluid volume so as not to strain the pulmonary system while we figure out what the next steps are and because of the decreased cardiac output and the likelihood for you know feeding difficulties that we'll talk about nutrition and supplements and maybe the need for some sort of feeding tube because education here is really really key with the atrial septal defect now the other kind of increased pulmonary blood flow defect that i'm going to talk about is the patent ductus arteriosus The patent ductus arteriosus is failure of the fetal ductus arteriosus, the shunt that actually is connecting the aorta and the pulmonary artery together to close within the first few weeks of life. And one of the characteristics that we can see with an open PDA is a machinery-like murmur that is present when you go to auscultate these newborns' chests. And the infant may be asymptomatic Or they may show signs and symptoms of heart failure. They're also likely to have those signs and symptoms of a decreased cardiac output. Because when you think about it, like anatomically and pull up a picture if you're unsure, with the PDA, there's this shunting connection of the aorta and the pulmonary artery. Okay, so there's still right the shunting that is going effectively from the high pressure, which is the aorta of the oxygenated blood back to a lower pressure, which would be the pulmonary artery, which is where the deoxygenated blood is. But it is increasing blood flow. To the pulmonary structures with that opening that doesn't close. So, some of the management that we can give is we can actually give them indomethacin, which is a prostaglandin inhibitor, and it can be administered to close the patent ductus arteriosus in premature infants and in some newborns because we need it to be closed for the circulation. And we can also go in and that defect can be closed during cardiac catheterization or it might require some sort of surgical management as well. So those three defects, the ASD, the VSD and the patent ductus arteriosus or the PDA are three that defects that you could classify as increased pulmonary blood flow um, or an acyanotic congenital heart defect. The other thing that I kind of loop into the acyanotic, you know, congenital heart defects are obstructive defects. And there are, um, you know, three big obstructive defects that children can be born with, aortic stenosis, pulmonary stenosis, and then coarctation of the aorta. So I'm going to talk briefly about those as well, because an obstructive defect is just when blood exiting a portion of the heart meets some sort of anatomical narrowing or, you know, like a stenosis that is causing obstruction to the blood flow. And the location of that narrowing is usually near the valve of an obstructive defect. So Usually kids or infants that have an obstructive defects are also going to show signs and symptoms of heart failure and if it's mild if the obstruction is mild it's often going to be asymptomatic as well so to start off first aortic stenosis right because the aortic valve is a huge valve inside the body now when children are born with aortic stenosis you get it's narrowing of that valve that is obstructing the flow to the systemic circulation and it's about it accounts for about 10 percent Of congenital heart defects. And the heart then has to work harder and that left ventricle has to work even harder to perfuse because of the stenotic valve, which is the narrowed valve, and it doesn't open nearly as easily. So because of this and that narrowing, the valvular stenosis is that is the most common type and is usually caused by some sort of malformed cusp resulting in two leaflets rather than the three that the aortic valve should have. So, we will hear a murmur. It will be present. And infants with the severe defects will show signs of that decreased cardiac output because the blood cannot get out of the left ventricle. So children will also have signs of activity intolerance. They might have chest pain because they're not getting adequate cardiac output. They might be dizzy, again, because the blood flow is not getting out of the left ventricle to adequately perfuse. And the way that we manage this is we can actually do a dilation of the narrowed valves, and that's done in the cardiac cath lab, or we can do some sort of surgical aortic valvulotomy where we'll go in and it can be like a valve repair or we can break it apart. Those with aortic stenosis that are often asymptomatic, we monitor it and we'll manage it as it comes. Those with severe aortic stenosis, though, will be given prostaglandin E1 to maintain and keep the patent ductus ductus arteriosus open they'll also then be given dopamine and diuretics to treat the congestive heart failure until dilation of that valve can be done with a balloon or the or just a valve replacement so When we think about, you know, increased pulmonary blood flow, one of the defects is a patent ductus arteriosus that never closes. And that's basically the the tunneling system between the aorta and the pulmonary artery and too much of the oxygenated blood going to the body gets into the pulmonary artery and back into the lungs. Well, in aortic stenosis, right, we actually will give the prostaglandin to maintain the patent ductus arteriosus. Now, with pulmonic stenosis, which is another obstructive disorder, With the mild stenosis, they're likely to be asymptomatic and they'll have normal growth. When we get into the more moderate and severe stenosis, these children are likely to be dyspneic or have fatigue with exertion, which will lead us to the signs and symptoms of congestive heart failure. They'll have a really loud murmur because the pulmonary valve is narrowed. And so there's resistance to the blood flow causing a right ventricular hypertrophy. Then we get decreased pulmonary blood flow from that right ventricle. So pulmonary atresia is an extreme form of pulmonary stenosis. And in that there is a total fusion of the commissures and no blood flow to the lungs, which is very bad. So Again, a murmur is very characteristic, infants or children might be asymptomatic, newborns with severe narrowing are cyanotic because it's obstructive, because the blood flow can't get to the lungs. Uh, And then if the pulmonary stenosis is severe, they will end up with heart failure because that right ventricle will hypertrophy, trying to get the blood from that right ventricle into the lungs for adequate oxygenation and perfusion. The management of this, again, is also just dilation of the narrowed valve, and that can be done during a cardiac cath, or the other option is surgical management. Now, with the pulmonary pulmonic stenosis treatment, right, newborns with critical pulmonic stenosis do have a 10% mortality rate. And because they have to go in and immediately do like a balloon dilation to open up that valve, these individuals are then, uh, they have a lifelong risk for the development of infective endocarditis. And so prophylaxis may be needed because they will have a faulty valve and or a surgical replacement valve to fix the issue. Now, the last obstructive Congenital heart defect that I'm going to chat about is the coarctation of the aorta, and the coarctation of the aorta is localized narrowing near the insertion of the ductus arteriosus. Okay, so <laughs> so the way that I like to think about the coarctation of aorta is it's like a sausage link. If you have, if you look at two sausage links that are still attached together. Off of the aorta, when you envision the aorta where the patent ductus arteriosus is, right where that is, it's actually just super small and cinched down like a sausage link. So because of that, every time the heart squeezes and that left ventricle sends blood, which is the cardiac output to the whole body, the majority of it actually goes to the upper body and not to the lower body because of this really narrowed area of the aorta. So the blood pressure is higher in the upper extremities than it is in the lower extremities. So when you have patients with the co of the aorta and you take you know the blood pressure in the arms, you will see a significant difference from the blood pressure in the arms to the blood pressure in the legs because of the pathway of perfusion. Similarly, if you're checking for pulses in their arms, they will have bounding, strong pulses. And when you go to assess their femoral pulses, it might be weak or just completely absent because there's not enough flow getting down to those parts of the body. And as a result, there's a lack of perfusion and their lower legs are likely to be cool to the touch. These children will also have signs of heart failure. They will also have signs of decreased cardiac output, especially in their lower extremities, because all of the blood is going to their upper half of the body. And because all of the blood is going to their upper half of the body or a good chunk of it, they may experience headaches, dizziness, fainting. They might have epistaxis or get like nosebleeds because of the hypertension and the vessels that are inside the nose that just kind of get really pressurized and engorged. And then they get, these nosebleeds. So the way that we manage a child who has coarctation of the aorta is we will do, um, a balloon angioplasty in children to try to open up that tight area. We can also do a resection of the coarcted portion, and because of that, that resection of the coarcted portion, and um, it will restore that diameter to its normal size. So the deal with that is with coarctation of the aorta, the blood pressure is higher in the upper extremities than in the lower extremities, and they will have bounding pulses in the upper arms and weak or absent pulses in the lower legs because of this tiny, you know, sausage link kink in the aorta coming off and out of the aortic valve. So that is the nitty gritty on increased pulmonary blood flow, which is going to be your ASD, your VSD, and your PDA. And then the three big obstructions, obstructive congenital heart defects, which is pulmonary stenosis, aortic stenosis, and then coarctation of aorta. I strongly suggest that you pull up pictures if you're trying to learn these and look at the anatomical structure of what is occurring so that you get a really good idea of what you would be looking for from a nursing assessment. And other than that, go forth and keep on learning.